Hi, everybody. Billy Holting here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Jazz Roundtable number 15, Bass Night. Tonight, we have Ken Wilde and Kevin Axt. Both of these guys have extensive tour and studio credits and are two of the really true doublers on bass, meaning they play both upright and electric bass equally well. They have some great perspectives on music, some funny stories, and we also talk about their careers. And they play a few bass duets. Now, there's something you don't hear every day. Please note, about 49 minutes into the podcast, my recording software during the live stream died. From there, the rest of the show, I had to use the audio from the live show feed, which isn't as good. I wanted to make sure you were aware so you didn't think your podcast player was faulty. I apologize for the change in audio quality. Thank you for understanding. As always, the Jazz Roundtable is recorded in front of a live internet audience. I've edited a bit from the original, but all the good stuff is still there from the live show. These shows are free, but if you'd like to leave us a little something in the tip jar, please go to live at 0bpm.com slash tip jar. And note, live at 0bpm.com is spelled L-I-V-E-A-T-Z-E-R-O-B-P-M dot com. You can also tip on Venmo at Z-E-R-O-B-P-M. We always love it if you subscribe and leave a review as that really helps us spread the word. I want to make this show better and you can help. So feel free to send ideas to podcast at live at 0bpm.com. Thank you and have fun listening. Welcome to the Jazz Roundtable, brought to you by Live at Zero BPM, with your host, Grammy Award-winning percussionist and mallet player, Billy Holting. It's the Jazz Roundtable, Bass Night, featuring tonight's guest, Ken Wilde and Kevin Axe. If you care to donate, click on the donate slash tip jar link in the description or on our website at live at 0bpm.com slash tip jar. You can also tip on Venmo at Z-E-R-O-B-P-M. And now, let's get to the music with your host, Billy Holting. Hey, everybody out there. Ah, here we go. One of these days, I'm going to remember to turn that button on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another show. This is Jazz Roundtable number 15, and it's bass night, which is uh, going to be super fun. And you're going to learn more about the bass than you think you'll ever want to know. That's why it's going to be so much fun. Uh, but I, I just started the thing. We are 100% tip-based, so that's how the guys get paid. That's how we keep the lights on. If you want to send a tip in, I'll put the links up in the chat rooms, and you can also find it on our website at live at Z-E-R-O-B-P-M. And that includes you listening to the podcast version of this. Uh, or watching an archive. It doesn't matter when you're watching this. If you go to the link, you can find it and send a tip in that uh, helps, like I said, goes to the guys, helps keep the lights on. But enough about me and enough about this stuff. Let's get the guys in here. Let's see. Uh, oh, hey, Ken and Kevin. How are you? Hey. Yo. <laughs> Good. Oh, I, I got reverb on. Oh, you got some reverb on there? I, I'll turn that off in a second there. But uh, <laughs> welcome. This is Bass Night, and uh, th- this is kind of fun. Both Ken and Kevin have played on the live stream with different groups. Kevin, you just played here recently with uh, the Dave Toll Trio. Correct, yeah. And just Ken, a few you, days ago. Yeah, and Ken was here with uh, Ken and... Uh, Tom Rizzo. Tom Rizzo. Yeah, that was a great show as well. So welcome back, both Thank of you. you. Thanks. So, well, let's just get right into this. I'm going to start with Ken, and we're going to go into what I like to call the origin story. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ken, how did you get into music and playing the bass and all that good stuff? Well, back when the dinosaurs were roaming, <laughs> that's when I started. Um, my musical background was pretty much banned from like sixth grade on. I played clarinet, um, and I thought that was what I was going to always play. But, you know, the the usual thing when you have an older brother, you always kind of want to hang with your older brother. Well, my older mm-hmm. brother was a piano player, and he had a trio. This is when we were living in Honolulu. My dad was in the military, and so we you know, uh, moved around a lot. We ended up in Honolulu. And my brother, he was four years older than me, um, started a jazz trio. (laughs) Great story. The bass player, his apartment was so small, he had no place to put his bass, so he always left it at our house in our basement, and it was always sitting out. So my brother would be playing by himself, and I'd come down and just grab the bass and... You know, doing the one finger up and down the string, trying to find the notes, you know, just doing it that way. But slowly but surely, it kind of became something I really liked doing and, you know, finally got to study a little bit and learn how to actually play it the right way. Had to learn, unlearn some bad habits. So, so you and were kind of went on from there. You tried to learn the upright without any instruction or anything. That just seems a bit. At daunting. first, I did, yeah, <laughs> and then then I knew that was not going to go very far because yeah. one finger gets pretty limited. 
in, in terms of technique. So eventually I got a, uh, a teacher, a bass player in Honolulu that was teaching and he got me started. And then I went to the uh, University of Hawaii and, and, and was a bass major for the three years I managed to survive there. So cool. I well, even did, a, I, I even did a, a bass recital, believe it or not, a junior recital. I actually managed to get through it. Uh, I believe it. I just uh, just looking over here. My software is acting weird, but I, I, I'm assuming it looks like the the audio is going out into the world, and nobody has said it isn't yet. So, uh, even though my audio software is not doing, let's see. Uh, anyway, well, that's great. Let's just jump over. Well, uh, let me ask you a question. When you were learning the bass, were you start out with jazz, or were you? What were yeah, you pretty much. My uh, that's what my brother played, and uh, the classical thing really didn't start to even show up. Uh, at all until I uh, until I started college. So this this happened when I was a sophomore in high school, and I was still playing clarinet. And I played clarinet even into college. I still played clarinet, but um, you know I became a bass major when I went to college. So that's the first. You know I played with a bow a little bit, but by then when I started as an actual student at the at college, I had to really buckle down and try and learn it. And I'm still learning today, and I don't think I'll ever stop. Well, that's fantastic. Hey, well, let's just jump over to uh, Kevin then. So tell us about how you got into playing the bass or got into music in general and then the bass. Uh, first, I got to say, uh, Ken's one of the rare guys. I've just heard a story where he uh, actually started playing bass by his own choice instead of like <laughs> instead of like the guy in the band where they go we've got five guitar players and nobody wants to play bass who's okay I'll play bass <laughs> yeah like, yeah that's 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 cool I, I uh, my start was a. Uh, um, actually, I started as a piano player when I was about 10 years old, and then I got into the, our grammar school, actually had a basketball team. My parents said, you can't do both. You can't do piano and basketball. And I said, that's it. I'll, I'll give up the, the piano. Mm -hmm. So I played basketball. <laughs> and, and then uh, I changed schools. And the school that I went to, uh, that I changed to, I, I wanted to fit in. And there were a couple of the cool kids in the school that were playing guitar. So I thought, well, that might be a nice way to fit in. So I started taking classical guitar lessons and really enjoyed it. And the next thing you know, like I just described, I ended up in a band with a bunch of other guys. And indeed, we had about a bunch of guitar players and nobody playing bass. And so one of the guys, his brother, was a bass player. And he said... And I said, okay, I'll, 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 you know, I'll, t I'll take the take one for the team. And so uh, he goes, cool. My brother has an extra bass, and he's got an amplifier that you can borrow. I was probably about 15 years old, I think, at the time. And uh, I'd already been playing tuba in the school band, so I sort of had bass in my head a little bit. And uh, he goes, yeah, just go to his house, house, and uh, he'll sh he'll show you the bass and kind of how to play it and how it all works. And he happened to be a really good bass player. This was in a little town called Ukiah. Mm -hmm. Up yeah. in uh, Mendocino County, yeah, I know it. And uh, and there was also there was a local guitar player there, a guy named Robin Ford, who uh, who <laughs> used to go and listen to play, you know, with his brothers down at the fairgrounds on weekends. And so we had this amazing musical community up there, and a really inspiring musician to, you know, for me to listen to. And which is why everybody wanted to be guitar players. Who wants to be a bass player when you got Robin Ford to listen to? <laughs> but anyway, so I listened. But this guy's name was Derek Soderquist. Uh, and he was really, he played left-handed, so I had to restring the bass and kind of, you know, look at, look at him like this to sort of figure out what he was playing. Mm -hmm. But he was really a wonderful bass player, and he showed me some licks that were so cool and so inspirational. I went, maybe this isn't, you know, such a bad deal. And also, I'm sorry, that looks cool. I know that this is cool, but this is pretty cool, you know? <laughs> so there was something about how cool that looked that was appealing to me. That's great. So uh, I kind of picked, I went from guitar to and tuba to, to electric bass. But I always loved string bass. I, jazz was my first love as, a, as even from a little kid. There was a little, there was a radio station out of San Francisco called K Jazz. Mm -hmm. that was somewhere down in the lower, you know, 80s on the FM dial, and in our, you know, remote area, you could only get it occasionally. Um, on weekends, and I would wake up sometimes early in the morning before my parents got up and try to dial. And if and if I actually got K Jazz and I could hear it, I'd go running over to their bedroom and start knocking on the door. Mom, Dad, K Jazz is on. I got K. And they're like bleary eyed, going, "Yeah, this is great. I can't wait to hear Miles Davis at 6:45 a.m. This is awesome." Um, so anyway, yeah, that was my my basic entree into music, and then from there, I, I uh, uh, the there was a rock band that came through. 
through a town when I was just about to graduate high school, and they just lost their bass player. And uh, one of the musicians was based in Woodbid Valley, just outside of Ukiah. And they were looking for a bass player. They went to a music store and said, hey, uh, is there anybody in town that you think could take this band over? We're in the middle of a tour. And some reason or other, they gave them my name. And so they called me and I, I said, yeah, I'd like to do it, but I have to finish up high school first. Can you wait a couple of weeks? And they said, yeah, okay. So they hung out in Redwood Valley. And, wow. And literally the day after I graduated high school, I, uh, I had headed out on the road and uh, that year of my life was a Farrelly Brothers movie. And I won't go into any more detail <laughs> than that. That's another podcast. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, well, we should do a, a, a podcast just on stories from the road. Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm actually working on a book of that. Yeah. So we'll talk about all that later. But yep. um, that's uh, that's great. I, I, and so now the, the next question, I, I want to get into, because I learned some stuff today also, because these guys brought in their upright basses. Now, Kevin, when did you get into upright? Well, um, I actually didn't. Uh, I didn't get into it until like the last couple of years I had in high school. Um, I traded. I changed schools again, and they happened to have a string bass at the high school that they let me play. But I, I took it home. I rarely played it at school. It was it was something uh, um, that I just sort of messed with at home. And so I I had these. Uh, I, I I idolized Ray Brown and Ron Carter and. Um, Charlie Hayden and guys like that. And so I just I just kind of had this bass at my house for a couple of years that I just tried, you know, like like Ken, just sort of taught myself, you know, one finger doing the Django thing, you know, just kind of <laughs> figuring out how to, pl how to play this thing. My mom actually called it the beast, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, yeah, that was, that was my first exposure to it. But I loved, there's just something about the sound, you know, it just spoke to my heart. I, mm -hmm. As much as I love electric bass, and I, I do, I can't pick between the two. Right. But this is this is a really special, mm -hmm. and this, and then when you get into bowing it and playing it in a section, that's a whole nother world. Exactly. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And the, well, and the funny thing, he went, he went to upright from the electric. I went the opposite way. I played when I first started to work a little bit. I started to play, you know. In, in Honolulu or in Hawaii, um, there are so many military bases, and there were all these casuals, you know, what we call casuals, gigs at all these military bases. So I started doing that, and I, there was a kind of a show gig with these Korean girls called the Kim Sisters, and it was an electric bass gig, and I didn't have one. So I went to my local music store and lucked out, had a found and I think I paid a hundred less than a hundred dollars for an actual mid-60s fender jazz bass <laughs> wow um the only bad news about wow. that and 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 for the next three years after I started that gig I didn't play upright except at home never played it on anything I any work I did it was all electric so hmm. I learned the electric kind of the opposite way um but uh, one time I noticed the neck was kind of getting wonky, and I I knew there was a truss rod you could adjust, and I started to turn the truss rod. And because of the salt air in Honolulu, it completely disintegrated. Oh there was no truss rod. So so that bass was useless after that. Yeah. I couldn't play that bass. But that's anyway, funny. that's how I got into it. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, but, yeah, please tell me you still have that bass. Or no, that bass, just, that it, bass went away. Um, that bass went away. But I do have a... a as you're going to hear about this too from both of us, we have all have m all manner and variety of uh, electric and upright basses. Well, it's yeah, just we're going to talk we about do. that soon. But you know what? Let's. What, what do you guys want to play for us? You got something fun? Yeah, we'll do um, a Gershwin tune called um, "Embraceable You." Something I've been playing for a while. I play with my brother a lot, so and I'll play melody and uh, with the able accompaniment of Kevin Axt on, on the bottom end, and then we'll play a couple of choruses and take it out. All right. Wanna, you know, this is the time when everybody's either going to go to the bathroom while we're playing bass solos, <laughs> or they're going to turn the blender on in their kitchen, which is what usually happens when we're playing gigs. Well, I think what uh, we will spend the last 20 minutes of the show just telling bass player jokes. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're going to do this.
Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. That's that was fantastic, guys. Uh embraceable you. So uh let me ask you a question. How often do you guys get to play bass duets? Uh not very often. No. <laughs> Um, I know Kevin's done some with Tierney, right? You guys? Yeah, Trey and I do some duet stuff occasionally. And every once, I've, a couple times I've been over to Chuck Berghoffer's house. And yeah, we'll, that's and true. I've done we'll, that too. We'll have some fun playing some duets together. But no, we don't get to do it very often. It's, it's too bad because it's actually a lot of fun. It's great. And, and, and the classical thing too, there's, there's enough literature written uh. That, that that's a cool thing to do too. Is it actually written for two bases? Yeah. Or? Oh, great. yeah. There's some stuff out there. That's awesome. And there's some Telemann cannons that are that are a lot of fun to play. Usually they use do them on bassoons and there's stuff. There's actually but. some. Yeah, there's some bassoon duets of other stuff too that I've seen. Yeah, they're great. We'll so. put a show together for you. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I I do remember in college where a lot of bass players would play cello uh, pieces. Yeah. But I, yeah, the cello suites and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, the cello suites. Most of them, you know. Obviously, down an octave from right. where there's written, but yeah. except for Edgar and other. But he has dots on his neck, so yeah. it doesn't count. <laughs> you hey, know. Your, your old teacher Dennis has dots on <laughs> yeah, his neck. That's true. It is but, true. Uh, well, let's move on because one of the reasons I wanted to have you two guys come in here is you are what's known as doublers. And for people that don't know what that means, that just means you play upright and electric as well. You play them both incredibly well, enough to work at a, at a very high level. And uh, there's not. You know, there's a handful of guys in town that are really true doublers, or or, or they're more than I know about. Oh yeah, there's a bunch of new, uh, younger kids mm -hmm. that shall remain nameless because we don't want to promote them. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. No, there's some really good, there's some really good young players that are good doublers too. But it's a fine art, and um, I know Kevin will agree that, especially in studio situations, it's very specific how it happens and how uh -huh. it's used. So that's an experience thing that you don't get. I mean, you know, you might play on a, in a band where, okay, we'll do some upright tunes and now we'll do an electric tune and stuff. Mm -hmm. This is a little different in the studio situation, which is where doubling really becomes a thing, you know? For example, are you? Um, well, you know, uh, I don't do it on Family Guy. Actually, Dominic Genova, who's another very good mm -hmm. double electric upright doubler um on that show he'll sit in the section with uh with three other guys and then when uh there's some kind of rhythm cue he has to go over to a different place and and pick up the electric you know and it, it's they're two different instruments, so it mm -hmm. really takes a different mindset to play them. You're not actually in a lot of ways, it's three different <laughs> instruments <laughs> because true. because when you're talking about upright bass and electric bass, he runs over and plays electric bass. Then he might play a rhythm upright bass part. Then when mm. he's coming back, he's playing section bass, which is a completely different animal and a different and instrument with a bow. And yeah, the bass is set up completely different with different strings and to, to, to utterly different sensibility. So it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's a lot to, a lot to bite off when you try to do right. all that and, stuff. And in a pressure situation like that, where they're not going to give you, you know, you don't have 15 or 20 minutes to figure something out. You got to be ready right. to go. So that's the, that's the challenge of doubling to me is that, you have to be totally conversant with not only the styles, but just how to make those styles work when you're, you know, under the red light gun. You well, know, how did, did you learn that? Did you, is it from playing just a ton of straight ahead gigs and then a ton of, you know, electric bass gigs separately? Or is it just time and hours? Or is it, uh, think some people have a certain knack for it that others don't? Or Myself, personally, I knew that I could pick up, like I taught myself electric bass and I taught myself, you know, all the rhythm stuff. On my own, because you do that just just in the you know in the in the mm -hmm. heat of battle, you just do as many gigs as you can. But I made myself a student of classical bass. All my I've never studied jazz. I never studied all the other stuff. All my training was strictly classical and classical technique and classical literature, because I knew that that technique was going to you know serve me well to be able to just simply get around this instrument. If you don't learn proper technique how to play this, you're going to hurt yourself. There's there's a it's a it's a it's a physical difficult instrument yeah so and 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 i think it did me i uh, I'm, I'm glad i made that choice because it for one thing it opened up all that music to me and i i gotta say personally it's really difficult for me to choose what i like better playing in a section or playing 
in a you know in a rhythm groove kind of situation because I really love playing in a bass section in orchestra. It's it's one of my very it's really things. it's a really a special feeling, especially in an orchestra. It's like um, um, you know for me the doubling thing. I just I just did a gig with um, that I do fairly often when he comes to the West Coast with Andrea Bocelli, mm-hmm. which is basically a section gig, and there's three or four electric tunes that uh-huh. they do rhythm on, um, and the the music that they play. I mean, we're talking about Puccini and Verdi. Right. Opera music is some of the hardest music to play, and also some of the most beautiful music. I mean, it really. And I know Kevin will agree. It touches your soul in a way that um, that very few other kinds of music do. There's something when, especially when you have an, an you know an eighty ninety piece orchestra mm-hmm. playing these unbelievable sonorities. It's just it, it's a special feeling. It really is. That's cool. Well, that brings me to another question is, uh, you know, we were talking today, the guys are loading in, and I just always assumed that you guys had one upright bass, or maybe two, a classical and maybe a jazz bass, but you were telling me that you each have what, is it seven or eight? I have three. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got four, but uh, one of them's basic. Actually, technically, I've got five. Two of them are, are in boxes, pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, then I've got a Chinese bass, I've got my orchestra bass, and I've got this one. Oh, okay. And, and I basically have the same thing he does. I have a, 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 a an orchestral bass that was built in the 1890s, then a, a modern Chinese bass that I kind of use as my utility bass, and mm-hmm. then this one, which I got when I was in college, new. My teacher went to Chicago, picked it out at a, at a music store in Chicago because there weren't there weren't music stores in Honolulu that had any right. uprights to play, so he found it. <laughs> Great story, too. Came back, so it cost me $950, including a traveling trunk, <laughs> and the traveling trunk had on it, printed on it, Ray Brown Oscar Peterson Trio. Oh, wow. It was one of Ray's old trunks that Whoa. was at this store, <laughs> and I refused to paint over it for a while until I realized... Hey, if this gets lost, it's going to end up at Ray's management company, not at mine. I'll never see it again, you know. So. Well, I'm glad you brought up Ray Brown because my original plan for the show is to have four of you come in and play Ray Brown solos in four-part harmony. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's done that yet. Probably not. It would be a challenge too because Ray <laughs> Ray played a lot of great solos. So. But uh, so that's cool. So t- can you describe the difference between the bases? Your like the, the uprights that you have. Ahead, the, the classical one well, will have the, the extension. Well, the classical one, the, the main, the first main thing is you have to have, <clears throat> you have to have the extra low notes. You, everybody that have, for your orchestra bass, you need to get down to that low C or sometimes even a low B. Um, there are occasionally people that do something where they will tune their um, low E string down to a low C or a low B, and I then did that. and then finger. I did that for a long That's time. That's a brave, oh, yeah. brave man right there. <laughs> Um, but but for the majority of time, you'll see that they have something that, that looks like an extra extended fingerboard, and uh, that'll take it down to a low C, and you'll have either what they call a manual uh, extension where Machine. you just t- turn, off a, turn off a lock here and then finger the notes, or they have little guides that you'll swing into place for certain notes, or you have something it'll look like a piccolo that's right. stuck on the end of your mm-hmm. uh, bass, and that's a, it's called a mechanical extension. And that's, that's what I happen to have on my... On so my you're pressing mallet. keys that then press the notes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Press little keys that press down the, the, these little levers that press the notes. And, well, and the, the differences between those things are, are all about the choreography that you have to do to be mm-hmm. able to play <sighs> low notes, because most of the people who write for those things... They don't know how awkward that is. Oh, right. And so they'll write stuff that on um, one form of extension might be really pretty easy to do, mm-hmm. on the other one really hard, and vice versa. You know, there's no perfect solution to that issue for the bass players. And, you ah. know, you're also talking about you're reaching your arm up. You know, in some cases you're reaching your arm up to the top of your bass it's, I mean, and then going from here to here, here to here, it's like insane. Yeah, that does. Uh, I've always wondered if it was just, oh, that's just for whole notes, or people actually write lines. No, they oh, write no. stuff yeah. down there, and, oh, they, and they shouldn't probably, but they do. <laughs> I wish you that they would. So, if there's any arrangers out there writing for the extended bass, 
Don't you know? Don't go crazy. You know what would be great is if we actually did a master class for composers and just showed them how awkward it is, and they would understand. Oh, maybe we won't write that. Yeah, we should uh, maybe think about doing a an afternoon composers' day where people can come in and talk about their instruments and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, wow, that's that actually, actually, good actually idea. a great hey, Siri, idea. Remind me of this great idea. <laughs> <laughs> but now the setups between the jazz and the classical bass, is there a difference or yeah, do you strings, have your, strings yeah. are different. Okay. You know, for, a, for these kind of basses, you're really looking for a uh, sustained, but also center of the pitch, more brightness mm -hmm. to cut through. Cause it's a rhythm instrument. Whereas with the classical bass, especially if you're doing section work, solo is a different, mm -hmm. classical solo is a different thing. But as a section player, you want it to be mellow and fit in with everybody else's basses. But right. it still has to have sound. It has to have a sound, but it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Kevin's, and, well, our basses are set up fairly similarly. Another difference is the, the bridge shape. The bridge shape on a jazz bass is almost always going to be flatter. Um, but on a, a classical bass, of... it needs to be more rounded because when you go to do string crossings, if it's if the bridge is too flat, it's really difficult to get to those inner strings. Yeah, you, and, you and, end up not hitting them with yeah, the bow. Yeah, you, you'll hit you'll hit two strings simultaneously when you don't ah. want to. So the slightly round, more rounded bridge makes it a little easier for these inner the A and the D string to stand out a little more. I see. Okay. Um, hey, we're about halfway through the show, so no. I, I want you guys, I would love it if you guys would play another song for us. Okay, I uh, think it's time for Blues Guys, right? Let me see if, uh, you know if the audience about, is here. Oh, the there they are. The electric, just so that... Uh, That's fine, yeah, yeah. Do it. Do it. Billy, how about I play it on the electric? Just to, or oh, yeah, sure, our, sure. Our, our, our technical uh, situations. Well, I think I think it'll be, we're okay. going to find out, All right. I guess. Stop me if it doesn't work. <laughs> well, worst case, you can just leave the mic open. Well, what it is is all the mics are open all the time, and I was going to mute your bass mics while we were talking and vice versa, but I can't do that. So my apologies out there in reverb land. So hopefully... Uh, Hopefully, this when I, the podcast comes out, we won't be having those issues. And if we're not, I will edit out all of the time I'm talking about it. Now, ooh, what do you got there? That looks like a, a big it's guitar. Same, we both have brand, uh, we, we have multiple electric bases. But for some reason, we, Rick Shaw, good, another wonderful doubler in yeah. this town, uh, told me about this brand of bass about, what, probably about five years ago? Yeah. Like, this one you guys yeah. And... Uh, and, and so just on his word of mouth, I, I ordered one uh, from this company over in Asia and got this thing and it was it blew me away. It just it's 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 just this really nice instrument that Marcus Miller uh, endorsed and helped design. And uh, so and the main thing is I got to pick this very cool candy apple red color. That's right. Yeah, which is very, very sexy. <laughs> So. I'm sure you're going to get plenty of comments about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, yeah. So let's play this tune. So okay, uh, and what are you guys playing here? Um, We're playing Blue Skies. Blue, Blue Skies, Blue. okay. Yeah. We just, uh, yeah, apologies. We just threw this all together, so, you know, bear, bear with us. So this is an example of, of the electric bass. I don't want to be too loud. Well, let me, when I got to balance you guys acoustically, because I can't adjust it here, so... <laughs> Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. All right, here we go. One, two, one, two, three, four. Thank you. 
Actually, it's actually in there. I just can't pipe it into you. Sorry about that. Okay, that's but it fine. Is, and the audience loved you. <laughs> it's not fake. These people are real. Hey, you know what? One thing we have not done yet is I have not done shout outs to the audience that's here. Let's talk because to those people. Doing, so, but let's talk about it. We got a bunch of people here. Uh, I think Wayne was the first one to come in. And Wayne, I sent out your t-shirts yesterday. Wayne just ordered three of these amazing t-shirts. Let me get these on the screen here. You know, you want this live at zero BPM and in the little bottom, it says hashtag support live music. I've got those for sale on the website. So you can find those. Oh, and and hats. You can get uh, Ooh, blue, blue or black. Black and white, or blue and white, and red and stuff like that. So, they're fantastic. And they say live at zero BPM on them. But if people don't know, it might look like live at zero BPM. So, if like your yoga teacher, or if you, you see a cute guy <laughs> or girl that's really into the metaphysical stuff, you could just say, you could start a whole conversation with just that. You know, you, it's the speed of Nirvana. It's the speed of Elvis. It's uh, it's a lot of things <laughs> to a lot of people. So live and through BPM t-shirts, please buy them. It helps keep the lights on here. So uh, if you have a question about the bass or about anything, you know. Yeah, well, we, we don't, we, we're not just bass centric. Yeah, we're we're individuals with the lives and, you know. Wow. <laughs> And yeah, we'll talk about our golf games. We'll anything. talk about our motorcycle riding, yes. whatever you want. <laughs> That's right. But I, one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about was uh, the road. You guys have both done, in addition to tons of sessions, you've done a lot of road stuff as well. And you both toured with Natalie Cole, I'm guessing at separate times. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, actually, he was right after me. And you did part of the, the tribute to her father sort of tour, right? Yeah. Yeah, where they had the recordings of right. Yeah, and yeah. that, and then it was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, the under, unforgettable. We closed every show with yeah. a recording of that, and she'd sing a duet with her dad. Yeah, we always did that too. I mean, it was kind of one of her standard I, things. I was at the party where they premiered that video. Yeah, wow. And everybody was just like blown away. It was so, That's so well amazing. done. But uh, Kevin, I, I have a bunch of lists of people: that the Manhattan Transport, Chuck Mangione, Eddie Daniels, Dave Grusin, the Gordon Goodwin Big Fat Band. Gordon was a guest with with Bruce a month or two ago. Uh, Shelby Lynn, Tierney Sutton. You've got some great stories about rental bases. Yes, uh, Tierney Sutton. And uh, Ken, tell us some of the people that you've toured with. Well, besides the band that really was my home for. You know, forever was Sea Wind, which mm -hmm. came to came to LA in 1976, um, and uh, was really my family. I mean, those are guys I grew up musically with. Some of the most amazing musicians I on remember the planet that band. by far. It was a great that I've band. ever met or heard. Um, so that touring wise, I didn't do as much as. Kevin, I toured with um, Natalie, like we said. Mm -hmm. I'm touring with Johnny Mathis right now. Um, 
<clears throat> I did a quick tour with uh, Toshiko Akiyoshi back in the day. That was fun, interesting. Now you do like you're like a session guy now in town. You doing mostly albums or TV film? What Who kind me? Of stuff? Yeah. You? Uh, there's really... Yeah. Is it everything? The pandemic did some, some damage to all of that, too. Um, like Kevin, I, I do a, I've been doing a fair amount of stuff out of my house, you know, for the last uh, two seasons of this reboot of this uh, cartoon show, Animaniacs. Uh -huh. We did all the orchestra, a 32-piece orchestra. Wow. Each part recorded at somebody's house. Wow. And put together by uh, a famous... Studio guitar player's uh, son, Tommy Tedesco, his son Damon is the mm -hmm. engineer who put all that together. An amazing job he, he's done to make it sound like we're all playing in the same room. That's and I know Kevin's probably got stories about doing home recording for everything that he's done. Right, right. Kevin, how about you during the pandemic? Were you Mr. Home Studio Guy? Yeah, uh, I, I I didn't have a really great setup prior to that. I did a decent, I mean, decent enough to do a few things, but I definitely upgraded when I saw that that was going to be, uh -huh. you know, the main way we were, were going to make m money for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, I upgraded everything and, and got proficient on Pro Tools and on, I've, I'm actually more of a Logic Pro Me guy. Me too. I, I, I like Logic. Me too. You know, better because it's a little more intuitive for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's easier to go from GarageBand to Logic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And I actually, it's something I, I, I enjoy doing it, but I've, I also, um, there's, there's the rabbit hole syndrome. And oh, yeah. in some ways it's harder to record at home because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a perfectionist and I have a tendency to go, I'll, I'll do the same thing like over and over and over and over again until I'm really, really happy with it. And right. sometimes I'll look at the right. clock and go, yeah, three hours just went by for me to do like a little 12 bar part. And it's just right. how did that happen? And you do that because you can. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as opposed to when you're in a studio and somebody's going, all right, one o'clock, you guys are done. Yeah. When, it, when I started doing that stuff, I had never done it at home. I had no setup and I knew this stuff was coming. Yeah. And so, as you can imagine, the panic factor was huge at the beginning. Like, I had no idea what I was doing or how it was going to come out. Thankfully, there's a lot of guys in this business and they're very, um, you know, they're very supportive and they help me through the rough parts and, you know, and then, That's great. then you learn as you do, mm -hmm. you know. But what Kevin's saying is really, the, the other difficult thing is, you're a setup guy, you're an engineer, you're a performer, you know, you're having to do all this at the same time. It's not, it's not easy, you know. It's, it's not the preferred way to do it. It's much better to go to a studio, let a professional engineer record you. and. Yeah, uh, Billy, you wouldn't understand. No. I mean, having to rec run cameras and <laughs> audio and all this stuff, well, you know, I, I lighting you. and junk like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. One of the understand. interesting things I find about recording at home is just like, okay, there's... 10 ways I could play this. Which one yeah. are they going to like? Yeah. And so sometimes I'll give them several options. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. you, do you like the shaker this way, this way, this way? And I think that's, for me, that's the hardest thing is like just guessing and I could spend five hours on something and I go, oh, no, 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 I want it different. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, do I spend another five hours or what do you do? It, it really depends. I think that's, to me, is the difficult thing. But I get it when you're, you're also producing. You're producing mm -hmm. your track in right. addition to playing and engineering and then uh, all those other things. And now they, a lot of people are like, oh, can you videotape yourself doing it? Yeah. <laughs> Which means yeah. you either got to do a perfect cut, a perfect take, or you've got to, uh, you know, edit your video. Or hopefully that if you correct something, it's not something that could be noticed on video. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know? So that's, that's a whole other And it's really cool that people have these studio recordings of everybody playing, especially... Like that, but I, I I actually did an Animaniac session years ago, and I that was the hardest session I've ever played in my life, and I can't imagine how they could do that. You know, the it's craziness, not easy, but they got good at it. Yeah, they got these lines, and all of a sudden it was like solo for a measure and a half to changes, and then all of a sudden you're back to a line, and then it would just the, just the jumps and everything at cartoon music that just seems insane. Yeah, speaking but. of Gordon Goodwin, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. He did that too. Right, and he just released some stuff, didn't he? And uh, I yeah, guess a new get, EP. And there's like you can get five versions with the different solos on each version of the song and things. Yeah. I haven't checked it out yet, but he was talking about it when he was here, which is very cool. Yeah, for those of you out there, you should definitely check out Gordian Knot, which is yeah. his gra Grammy nominated uh, big band record that Gordon and this guy is all over uh, it. Yeah, he's all over it. You want to hear the full range of. 
of electric and upright playing done well. That's the yeah. guy. Thanks, man. Cool. That's hey, well, we, we actually have a question from the audience. Uh, we're going to do a couple more shout-outs. We're going to do a little audience time here. But uh, Kathy from Las Vegas, my friend Kathy, and uh, and it was Barbara that asked the other that made the other comment. Uh, but Susan, hi, Susan, she writes in and asks, do you ever use a capo on the bass? That's so funny. I, I was making a joke to somebody about that like two nights ago. Um, no, I've never used a, I've never used a capo on a guitar or a bass. That's, yeah. I, um, Me neither. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, <laughs> this is going to crack you up. I actually didn't do it, but I watched a cello player. Back in the day, we were recording some TV show, and the, the composer, who shall remain nameless, I'm even, not even sure I can remember who it was, he wrote literally a hundred bars of low E, which on the bass is easy because that's this string. Right. But on the cello, it's a fingered note. So this cello player, old guy, he took the cord of the headphone and tied it around his string on the E <laughs> so he didn't have to finger it. And that's how he solved that. I, I went... This guy is brilliant. Yeah, this right is there. a hero moment. Yeah, that's, awesome. that's brilliant. That's the best thing I've ever seen. That's amazing. Uh, well, let's see. I, I do, we did talk. Well, we were talking earlier when we were setting up about all the different bases, and uh, you both have. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not easy to schlep that the big upright bass around. So you've got to use rental bases in different places. <laughs> and uh, I think the audience would like to hear a couple of stories of what you poor bass players have to go through. With some of the rental instruments out there, who who wants to start? Go ahead, Kev. Well, I, I actually I'll give you the yin and the yang. I mean, for, uh, before I go to the to the yin, which we'll say is the bad side of it, the yang is actually this instrument. Um, I was playing with the Bernadette Peters up in Oregon, and uh, they, and they always supply me with an instrument. Mm -hmm. And I showed up to the rehearsal, and this instrument was was sitting over by the, the bass area. And I went and played like three notes on it and went, this is really, you know, you're used to getting some marginal stuff. And I'm going, I'm also in, I think I was in Medford or Eugene or something, not a place where I was mm -hmm. expecting to get a quality instrument. And it was, I had this really beautiful bass. And I, and I, and I asked the uh, contractor, I said, who do I thank for this? I mean, this is really, you know, I really appreciate this. And then pointed to a woman that was in the woodwind section. And uh, I went and thanked her, and she she brought it, and she goes, "Well, it was my my late husband's bass. He passed away three years ago, and it doesn't get played anymore." And I said, "Well, I understand if you want to keep it, you know, if it's something that's that's significant to have at home, but also uh, if you want it to be played and give it, have me give it a good home, I'd love to, I'd love to, you know, buy it from you." And and she we ended up making a deal, and and it came home, and and this has been. You know, so you can have that happen. It's certainly the exception, wow. not the rule. On the other hand, uh, I there was one time uh, I was with, out with Tierney Sutton, and we went to play at the a concert at the Taiwan uh, Taipei National Hall in Taiwan uh, National Symphony Hall, and uh, the bass that they provided for me literally had the strings about that high off the neck. And that's not an exaggeration. Can you see that at home? Yeah, you can. Yeah, that's the space between my fingers is roughly an inch and a half. And I said, I can't, I can't do this. And they ended up uh, getting me another bass with about 30 minutes before the concert. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you, can, you can end up with some real dogs. Sometimes you get beautiful instruments, instruments where you go, I wish I could bring this home. Ken? Yeah, I had that at, um, with Natalie. Uh, I didn't do as, I haven't done, with Natalie, you were, you know, we, they had trucks, so my, this bass went along for the ride, but every now and then she'd do a one-off where she would separate from the, the rest of the band and we'd do like a trio concert. And this actually happened in Philly, Philadelphia, and um, through um, the drummer, uh, Johnny Friday, who was from Philly, he knew people there, so he hooked me up with a guy who said, I'll bring a bass for you. And I pulled this thing out of the case and it was so beautiful. Mm. And it played just, and I, you know, I was like, man, if I could steal this, I would steal it. It's beautiful. The flip side actually didn't happen to me. It happened to, <laughs> he's not here, he should be, Trey, who subbed for me on one of Natalie's gigs. Um, 
and it was somewhere in the Midwest, I'm thinking maybe St. Louis or Kansas City, and they brought a bass that was, he said, was basically unplayable. And there was this chart in Natalie's book, uh, uh, I'm not even remembering the tune, but it was written by uh, Alan Broadband, and it had a ridiculous bass line that, you know. Oh, I remember, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah about, all over there the will instrument. Be, there, something, there's you, there, um, it's a standard, anyway. The bass part. part was so hard to play on any instrument, and then Trey had to play this tune on this piece of crap instrument. I'm telling you, I fell for him. He never let me forget it either. <laughs> That's hysterical. I mean, I guess it wasn't funny at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just got to get through it, you know, and, yeah. and we're better at getting through it than we give ourselves credit for. We know how to make it happen even when it... Isn't easy. Like oh, that. I've had my share of terrible rental gear I'm on the sure road. You that was just uh, like this can't be played. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I think it's time for another song. All right. Yeah, we, we got one more good one for you. Oh, a good. Oh, yeah, play the good one. Hey, you know you <laughs> could play that melody on. Uh, Should I play it on electric? Yeah, that would be a lot of easy. Oh, oh, before <laughs> you do. <laughs> hey, Kevin. I could. Yeah. Kevin, before you do that, pull up your ukulele oh, bass. Let's that's right. show him that. I brought. I brought a. I brought a Kevin brought some toys, and he's going to show you all some, uh, this some is cool like, this stuff. This is bass show and tell, folks. Yeah. So this is this is my son. Uh, God bless him. For for Christmas last year, gave me gave me this as a gift. This is a what they call a uke bass or a ukulele bass. It's made by a company called Kala. And and uh, so you could. There we go. There's, and it it's really cool. I got a fretless version of it, and it has sort of like a string bass sort of quality to it. Turn it up a little bit. It's a good hybrid of the of the two instruments. That's awesome. <laughs> the only uh, Jerry Watts brings his out on gigs, and I've seen him play like jazz gigs on it. Yeah, they're suit. They're, yeah, you absolutely can. This one has a little problem with the E string being a little weak. I got to take it into yeah uh, Nordic Renson and have, and have him, him fix it. Yeah, have him fix it. Yeah, but uh, it's a it's a super cool instrument. It's really addicting to play. So. Uh, because we don't ever get to play anything that small. Yeah, so it's yeah. fun to have something small. Well, that's, that's the point. funny thing is when you see Jerry Watts do it, and he's 6'5 or something like right, that, it looks it. so tiny when he's playing it. It's actually really awesome. But uh, one other quick question from the interwebs. Uh, Kenyon is here. Hi, Kenyon. He says, hey, Kevin, you playing in the Palm Springs area anytime soon? We caught up with you at the Ernie Watts gig a couple of years ago, oh. and you blew us away. Oh, thanks. Um, I can't think of anything that uh, I'm going to be doing in Palm Springs in the near future, but uh, I'll try to post something on you know any of my social networking stuff. I'm not very good about being conscientious about that, but I'll try. If, if I am in the area, I'll try to let folks know. Cool. But yeah, but thank you. I know you have some uh, Vegas listeners. Yeah. I'll be playing with just fa a face brag here, a little plug. For Mathis is playing at the Smith Center in Vegas oh, this nice. weekend on Saturday. And um, it's just amazing to see a guy who's 86 years old still be able to sing at the level he does. That's it's great. incredible. So I would suggest anybody who wants to come. Arrangements are beautiful. It's always a good band. So come by. That's cool. And one other thing before we get into this tune, I keep forgetting to say, if you're watching this Facebook, YouTube, please like us, subscribe if you can, follow, uh, thumbs up and all that sort of stuff. That All that little helps us get these videos to the top. And Barbara sent in a tip also, so thank you, Barbara. Anyway, <laughs> yes, and if you're, if you're listening to the podcast version of this, please subscribe and leave a review or write me a letter and tell me what you want to hear and who you want to have on the show. So uh, anyway, let's get to this next tune. What are you guys going to play? We're going to play... A good old standard by Herbie Hancock, Cantaloupe Island. And Kev's going to play the melody on <clears throat> on the electric bass. A little nice. easier than, than the upright. Not that I couldn't do it on upright, man. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, pull your, pull your mic away again. Oh, yeah. Right. I'm good with that. Yeah, thank you for Okay, here we go.
The audience loves you. They're going nuts. They're going nuts for you. Do we have any parting words? Any great words of wisdom for people about the bass? <laughs> Just be kind to each other. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Remember, we all live on this planet together, so yeah. let's try and save it for our children. Yeah. yeah. Be nice to bass players, especially. I think. Yeah. Be, yeah. Cool. Well, then I'm going to say goodnight and thank you to everybody in the chat rooms. Thank you, everybody. that And thank you, Barbara and Andre, for the tips. It's not too late. If you want to send something in, every little bit helps. No amount is too small. No amount is too large. Just going to say it, putting it out there. So uh, I'm going to play my outro and then hopefully you guys. <laughs> I'm going to sample that and use it at the end of every show. <laughs> Okay, so here's the outro. We'll see you Saturday. Come by and check out the, the halting uh, Steen Wabich trio. Okay? Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us at Live at Zero BPM. These videos we archived on YouTube and Facebook, so tell your friends. These jazz roundtable shows will also be released as a podcast, so please subscribe. Go to live at zero BPM.com for details and to sign up for our mailing list. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you soon.